0: Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Most TV commercials present things as positive or funny. People on the screen are always well-dressed and good-looking. Sports events, you know, bands are playing, people are cheering, athletes are pumped up. Even at work, for the most part, people come to work looking their best, uh, chattering about current events or the game last night. And, and yet behind all of that, the reality is that people are hurting. People are lonely. People are searching for something or someone to bring relief to the emotional pain and despair that they feel. Many people struggle with a sense of failure and rejection or alienation. I think that a deep sense of alienation is behind a lot of the uh, turmoil that we've seen at at Ferguson and the the recent rioting. Uh, The pain of divorce uh, or the pain of an estranged relationship uh, with a son or daughter or other family member infiltrates many, maybe even most, families. Uh, People deal with aches and pains in their own bodies and the reality that they will someday die. Uh, sinful choices leave scars in hearts and marriages and families. Uh, Henry David Thoreau, who certainly was not a Christian by any means, said, The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Which is a quote I've I've heard many times. Maybe you have too. Uh, I never read the rest of the quote, which says, unconscious despair is concealed even under what we call games and amusements of mankind. That's from an unbeliever. That's their, their insight into the, the inner workings, the inner things that are going on in people's hearts and lives. Many choose suicide because they believe it is a better choice than living. Uh, more teenagers... More teenagers and young adults die from suicide than from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, chronic lung, and chronic lung disease combined. More, more kids and young people die from suicide than all of those things put together. And yet, 2,700 years ago, a prophecy was given in the book of Isaiah that promised real joy and real and lasting peace to all people. This promise of joy came during a time of great distress for Israel. They had corrupt kings and leaders, Uh, the people were spiritually sick, idolatry was everywhere. The people had turned away, in chapter 8, which we didn't take time to read this morning, I almost included that, but in chapter 8 it says, the people had turned away from, from the testimony of God to mediums and spiritualists. And as a result of their sinful rebellion, they were in devastation and despair. And much of it was caused by the invading uh, Assyrian army, the, the hordes of this savage army that came in and devastated the people and their land. Isaiah described Israel at this time as people living in darkness. Chapter uh, verse 22 of chapter 8 says they look toward the earth and they see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. These words, these powerful words describe The sad and miserable condition of man without God. They described the sad and miserable condition of people without a Savior. Sin brings despair. I mean, sin and despair are linked together. They're inseparably joined together. Sin brings, ultimately, may have pleasure for a season, but sin always brings despair and misery. Emotional misery is a result of living in a sin ruined world. Misery is a result of sin and guilt, and yet into this into this sorrow, into this this blackness that Isaiah described, this this fearful gloom, this distress, this darkness, into this suffering and disappointment, deep disappointment, comes a promise of incredible joy and we see this all throughout isaiah that we 've talked about we see. Distress, present distress, and yet this, this promise of incredible glory and joy. This promise of coming, a glorious day, a, a day of glorious joy. Verse 1, in spite of this, you know, the darkness, the gloom, the distress. Verse 1, but there will be no more gloom for those who were in anguish. Verse 2, the people who now walk in darkness will see a great light. Verse 3, you will increase their joy. They will rejoice in your presence. And as we will see, of course, this is, this is a reference to Jesus Christ. Into darkness, into this darkness came the promise of a Savior. Jesus Christ did not come into a Disneyland kind of planet where, where everybody is all smiles and everything's going just fine and everybody's lives and homes and hearts are picture-perfect and everything's just, uh, you know, wonderful. He came into the, to a real world where people are sinful, uh, where lives are broken, where families are not picture-perfect, to people alienated from God, to people who experience sorrow and gloom and grief. Again, as Isaiah said, he came to, to people living in darkness. But he came to bring light into that darkness. And he, Jesus Christ came. And it just if you want to look at just a big overall picture, at least that Isaiah paints for us, that if you want to look at why Jesus came, Jesus came to bring light into your darkness. Verse 1 is an amazing prophecy about the coming of Christ. And I want you to follow this with me just a little bit. Verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for those in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are those are tribes of Israel living north of Jerusalem. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, are, that's... That's the, that's the land of Galilee. So he's saying, he, in the past, he humbled this land. They were in darkness, in distress. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. All right? Now, the Jews looked upon Galilee as a God-forsaken place. Uh, in Isaiah 9, it is called the land of the shadow of death. I mean, how would, how would you like to live in a place that people called, oh, that's, that's the land of the shadow of death. That's what they referred to, uh, that's how they spoke about Galilee. They looked upon it with derision and contempt. I mean, Jerusalem was the happening place, it was the big city. Uh, Galilee was, it was called Galilee of the Gentiles, and that was, that, was a, that was an insulting term because it was a place where foreigners and Gentiles lived. It was the first place that was an invaded and destroyed, by the savage Assyrian war, warriors that, that took the northern kingdom into captivity. And so the Jews viewed it as a, as a rundown, pathetic, crummy place. But Isaiah said, God will honor Galilee. God will do something glorious right here in Galilee, right in the region or the land of Galilee, in that dark place, in that place of sin. And devastation and despair, God said he would reveal his glory by sending the Messiah there. And that is where Jesus came. He lived and did most of his ministry in the region of Galilee. And I think this is just amazing because this is no prophecy that a human would ever come up with. I mean, if, if the Bible was just men thinking up some very clever ideas and making predictions about a Messiah. I mean, no man in his right mind would predict that the Messiah would come to Galilee. I mean, it would be, it would be ludicrous to suggest that this coming Messiah, who, who is the answer to everything, would show up in Galilee. I mean, that, that would be like the Savior of the world, the one who is the answer to everything, is going to show up in Milo, Iowa, and if, if you got a town you want to put in there, you can put it in there. But that's just the one I thought of. I mean, it's just—it's just, it's just a—it just doesn't make sense that God would come and begin His reign on Earth at a place like Galilee. And if the prophecies of the Bible were man-made, they would—they would never say stuff like this. Only God would give a prophecy like this, and I think it adds incredible. Uh, Confidence in the scriptures and the word of God and the prophetic word, along with all the other multitude of prophecies about Jesus. In fact, the Jews had trouble recognizing Jesus because they said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, where was Nazareth? It was in Galilee. In a sense, they were saying, Can anything good come out of Galilee? But if they had known their prophecy, if they had known their Bible, If they had studied Isaiah chapter 9, it would have actually been a confirmation that Jesus was the Messiah, because he did come from Galilee. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We know that this is a prophecy about Jesus. Matthew tells us it is in chapter 4, verse 12. And I and I'm going to quote now from Matthew. This is not from Isaiah I'm reading from, this is from Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. That's the place we've been talking about. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Do you remember hearing about those two places, Zebulun and Naphtali? Where they're in Galilee, by the lake by the Sea of Galilee, to fulfill, and it says that Jesus did this. He returned to Galilee to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So what was Matthew saying? Matthew was saying that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. He's saying that Jesus Christ came to this land of the shadow of death. He's saying that Jesus Christ is the, law, the light that came into this dark place. Jesus came to this seemingly God-forsaken area and to the seemingly God-forsaken people. The people of Galilee were living in the darkness of their religious traditions and paganism and emotional despair, and yet they saw a great light light. It was at the Sea of Galilee that Jesus saw Peter and Andrew casting their nets into the lake and he said to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's where in Galilee is where Jesus walked on the water. It's where he turned the water to wine. It's where he healed the centurion's son and on and on and on. All of this happened in Galilee because God promised clear back here in Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, that the people living in darkness would see a great light, that he would honor Galilee by sending his Messiah there, and he did. This, I love this phrase, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, uh, because it is such a vivid description of the entrance of Christ coming into the world. I mean, I, don't, I can't think of a phrase that better describes what it means for Jesus to come into the world, and what it means for him to come into your life and to your heart. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. It is such a vivid description of Christ coming to us. People who lived in the darkness of sin and the consequences and the misery of sinful choices have seen the light of God in Christ. And in verse 3, and I loved what Jim did this morning because... Verse 3 really goes right along with what Jim shared by what the Holy Spirit put on his heart this morning. Verse 3 says, you have enlarged. It tells of the amazing joy that the Messiah will bring, the level of joy. And I want you to catch this. Please, please watch this. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They will rejoice before you. Uh, God's word translation says, you will expand the nation and increase its happiness. It will be happy in your presence. All right, just how much joy? This is what Isaiah is getting ready to tell us. Just how much joy is God talking about? Just how much joy will the Messiah bring? Just how happy will he make them? They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as men rejoiced when dividing plunder. God's Word translation says they will be happy in your presence like those who celebrate the harvest or rejoice when divi- dividing loot. Okay, we're not talking about minimalistic joy. This is this is joy like you see in the locker room of the Super Bowl champions right after the game. It's like the joy of the Iowa State team that they had after their victory Friday night. Sorry, Mike. It's like people who suddenly discover that they have inherited great wealth. People who are dividing spoils, people who are delighting, dividing loot. I mean, it's like they've got this great treasure, and everybody's getting their share, and there's just unimaginable joy. And Isaiah is saying, this is the kind of joy that the Messiah will bring into your life. And into your heart. Can you imagine people rejoicing over Christ in this way? Well, why will they rejoice so much? Verse 4. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you, talking about the Lord, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. He says, the Messiah comes to shatter the yoke that burdens. He breaks the bar that is weighing you down, that is weighing down upon your shoulders, the rod that someone else is using to oppress you, Satan or some human enemy. See, the Messiah comes to relieve you of all of that. And it says, as in the day of Midian's defeat. What is that referring to? Anybody know their Bible stories enough? That refers to the story of Gideon. Israel had suffered under the oppression of Midian for years. And then God raised up Gideon. And with only 300 men, they defeated 150,000 Midianites. Remember the story? They, with 300 guys, they, they came in, they had their lamps covered with pitchers they were holding the trumpet, they broke their pitchers, the light shone, they blew their trumpets. And the Midianites panicked. They started killing each other. They were completely routed. 150,000 men by 300 men with Gideon. How much joy did the Israelites have when their arch enemy, the Midianites, was defeated? I would say they had a lot of joy. I mean, can you imagine, a spe- boy? You know, there's joy when any when anybody wins, you know, when a team wins. But I mean, when an underdog wins, there's just even more joy. And, you know, really with Gideon defeating uh, uh, the Midianites, 300, 300 guys against 150,000, I mean, in a way, that really tops David and Goliath. I mean, we, th- we think of that as an incredible victory. But the joy that comes out of such an improbable, amazing victory... God says that's how, that's the kind of joy that comes with the Messiah. Because as in the day of Midian's defeat, God, the Lord, the Messiah, will, sh- will, will shatter the yoke that burdens you, the bar across your shoulders, the rod that oppresses you. The coming of Jesus is like that. He removes the burden of your sin. He removes the oppression of your sin, the misery of, of guilt and failure. He removes the burden of trying to reach God through your own merit and performance. He removes the oppressing and enslaving, enslaving power of sin. He sets the captives free. In a very literal sense, he will put down all the enemies of the church just and of, and, of, and of Christ and of, and of believers. Wow, we have, we have a Savior like that. That's the Messiah that was promised. Verse 5, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. In other words, Christ will bring a final victory to all conflict and all war. There will be no more need for army boots or military dress or military weapons. They can all be burned because the Messiah has come to bring peace. Not only will there be no more war on a national level, uh, but on a personal level, he will bring peace. There will be no more conflict. And of course, Jesus came. He died for our sins. He rose again. He ascended to the Father. He's coming back again. And a lot of these prophecies of Isaiah had application When Jesus came the first time, they have application to his work in our lives right now, and they will have final fulfillment when he comes again. Well, how will all this happen? How's God going to do this? What's going to bring all this glory? What's going to bring all this joy? Verse 6 tells us how all this will happen. For to us. A child is born. To us, a son is given. Isaiah makes the amazing statement that this joy, this in glory, this salvation will come through a child to be born. Darkness will end through a child. The solution to the deepest needs of the world was wrapped up. In a little child. The solution to the deepest needs of your heart this morning. Is wrapped up in that little child. Who was born to us. Given to us. God's answer to our sin. To our darkness. To our gloom. To our concerns about our mortality. To death. To our depressing failures. Is a child. A son. This of course meaning that the Messiah would be born. And come as a child. Which is in itself an amazing prophecy. Prophecy. The Jews didn't get this. They were expecting somebody to come on the scene with power, you know, come down from heaven in some glorious strength, which he will. But they weren't expecting a helpless baby. But yet Isaiah had if again if they knew their prophecy, they would have they would have known this, and of course some did. The Messiah would come. The Savior would come to us as a child. A child is born, to us a son is given. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He not only came as a baby, but he came as the Son of God. He is fully fully human, but he is also the Son of God. I love, I love the way Luke puts it to, in uh, Luke 2.11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. <laughs> Do you see the incongruity of that? Born a child? Born today? He's born just today? David... Um, Dan and his grandpa this morning uh, David and Lisa Had a a new baby boy Into their family Their their newly grandparents But think of that saying Saying to a newborn like that Calling him Unto you this day Has been born for you A savior He is Christ the Lord Well what about him will give us joy And we're going to look at this very familiar passage, uh, verses 6 and 7 of of Isaiah. What about Jesus will give you joy? Well, number one, you can rejoice in his greatness as a leader and king. Verse 6, and the government will be on his shoulders. This child... The government of the world, really the government of the universe, will be on his shoulders. The government of the entire world will rest on his shoulders, and he can carry it. He is strong. He is mighty. He can carry the government, the weight of the government of the world. And if he can carry the government on his shoulders, do you think he can carry you and your problems? That's why Peter said, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You know, to the people of Isaiah's day and, and, and to us in our day, it looked like the world was out of control. Their enemies seemed to be running over them freely. But God promised that Christ would take over the government of the world, and he will do that in a very visible and ultimate sense that we are still waiting for. But this child is destined to, ru- to exercise supreme rule over all men everywhere. He is born to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. There has never yet been a government or an administration on this earth that was perfect or that was perfectly just and fair in its dealings with men. There's never been a government that was able to end poverty and racism and conflict and economic injustice. There's never been a government that could put a stop to wars and bring real peace or certainly to bring peace to people's lives and homes and families and hearts. Jesus Christ will bring the, that ideal, perfect government. He will put an end to all injustice. His government will be perfectly righteous. He's the only one who can govern the world well. And there's there was a, there was an old Catholic guy named Gunnar Vignaroli that we used to sit around at when I worked years ago at a at a manufacturing company and at lunch um, he would he would <laughs> would get into these r- arguments about all that's wrong with the, with the government and everything and uh, he'd say there is only one kind of government that will ever work, and that's a dictatorship, and the only righteous dictatorship will come when Jesus Christ rules the earth. And I thought he had pretty good insight on that. But Jesus Christ will come, and the government will rest on his shoulders. But he also govern, governs our lives now. We are Basically, as believers, we are submitting our lives to the, to the governing of Jesus Christ. Uh, somebody by the name of Gail Irwin wrote this. Actually, his government shows its workings in wonderful ways. Whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving, loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know I am watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising, I know who their governor is. When I see pastors carefully teach and lead the flock God has given them, I know they are getting signals from their great king. When I see people make sacrifices and leave family to teach in distant lands because they love the people who have not heard, I know they are governed by God. Secondly, you can rejoice in his wonderful counsel. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful means full of wonder. It carries the idea... Uh, That something is mysterious or supernatural or beyond our realm of understanding. Someone who amazes us. In other words, Jesus is an amazing counselor. He shows you how to walk through this world. He shows you the only safe way to walk through the sin and the snares and the sorrow of this world. He is your best advisor He always knows what is best for you. Whatever your needs are this morning, whatever you need for wisdom or to work your way out of a problem, the answer to your need is in the counsel of Jesus Christ. He alone knows all about you. He alone knows all the needs of your heart. He alone knows best how to counsel you. Charles Spurgeon said this, Christian, do you know what sweet counsel is you have gone to your master in the day of trouble and in the secret of your chamber you have poured out your heart before him you have laid your case before him with all its difficulties and you have felt that though christ was not there in flesh and blood yet he was there in spirit and he counseled you you have felt that his counsel that came you have felt that his count you have felt that his was counsel that came from the very heart. But he was something even better than that. There was such a sweetness coming with his counsel, such a radiance of love, such a fullness of fellowship, that you said, Christ is the counselor whom I desire to consult every hour. And I would that I could sit in his secret chamber all day and all night long, because to counsel with him is to have sweet counsel, hearty counsel, and wise counsel, all at the same time. That's definitely written by someone who knew how to get counsel from Jesus. And I hope you know that kind of sweet counsel too. Third, you can rejoice in his might because he is God. He is mighty God. His name will be called mighty God. And we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is powerful. He's tough. He's strong. He's mighty. He defeated sin and destroyed the works of the devil. He conquered death. He heals sickness, raises people to life. He defeated our, our worst enemy, death. Uh, he upholds us daily by his mighty strength. And that's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if we, if we know him as mighty God, then we can say that too. That's, that's our, just kind of our outlook. That's our outlook on life. Hey, I can handle all things through Christ who strengthens me. Fourth, you can rejoice in him as everlasting father. Jesus is the son of God. And we know all the teachings about the Trinity. I'm not going to go into that. But Jesus, as the son of God, also has the attributes of a father, of a good father. He has a father's compassion for his children. He expresses the love and the care of the father. You can rejoice in him because Jesus cares for you as an everlasting father. Fifth, you can rejoice in him as Prince of Peace. And on so many levels, he brings peace. He will bring peace on earth. The end of wars and arguments, all human conflict. He gives us peace with God now. You know, I, uh, Romans 5.1, having... Been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing verse. Man, I repeat that to myself uh, just so many times. We, therefore, having been justified through faith, I have peace with God right now through our Lord Jesus Christ. He brings peace to your heart as you love him and trust him. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And as we do that, as we turn to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, he will bring peace to our troubled heart. He brings peace into our relationships as we we take on the humility of Christ, like Josh talked about last Sunday. Sixth, you can rejoice because his reign, his government, will never come to an end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. All governments come to an end. Greece, Rome, Persia, Egypt, the USA will come to an end. Every administration comes to an end. The Obama administration will come to an end. The Bush, the Clinton, Reagan administration all came to an end. But the administration of Christ will have no end. He will reign forever and ever As the writer of Hebrews said, we have come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I mean, you've come to some, when you come to Christ, you have come to something permanent. You have come to something that will last forever. He will rule forever. All these things that we're talking about, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, all these things that he is to us, he will be that to you forever. That will never, can never be taken away from you. And then I love the way this passage ends, and I don't have time to make any comment on it, but verse 7 simply says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It will happen. Applications, I'm going to share four with you real quickly this morning. Number one, get to know your Savior in the fullness of who He is. As you talk to Him, As you get alone, maybe with a cup of coffee or however you like to just meet with Jesus, open your Bible, a cup of coffee, as you talk with him, uh, call him these names. Talk to him as your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, your prince of peace. Get to know Jesus in that way. Get to know him in the fullness of who he is. Of who he is as you talk to him and call upon him. Uh, Calvin had a, a, a really amazing statement, I think, on this chapter. I'm going to share it with you. He said, Whenever it appears to us that everything is in a ruinous condition, let us remember or let us call to our remembrance that Christ is called wonderful because he has inconceivable methods of assisting us. And because his power is far beyond what we are able to conceive. When we need counsel, let us remember that he is the counselor. When we need strength, let us remember that he is mighty and strong. When terrors spring up suddenly every instant, and even when death threatens us from various quarters, let us rely on that eternity of which he is with good reason called the Father. And by the same comfort, let us learn to soothe all our temporal distresses. When we are inwardly tossed by various trials and when Satan attempts to disturb our consciences, let us remember that Christ is the Prince of Peace and that it is easy for him to quickly allay all our uneasy feelings. Thus will these titles confirm us more and more in the faith of Christ and fortify us against Satan and against hell itself. I love that. If you get to know these names of Jesus, he said that will confirm you more and more in your faith relationship with Christ, and it will fortify you or it will strengthen you against Satan and against hell itself. Second application. Seriously ask yourself, where do I go for counsel? Where do I spontaneously Immediately turn for counsel. Do you sit down alone with him and talk over your concerns with him and trust Jesus to be your counselor? What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to him in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Where do you go when you have a problem? Where do you go when you're weak and heavy laden? What a friend we have in Jesus. The people in Isaiah's day went to mediums and spiritists But Jesus is our counselor. Number three, see that Christ is the answer to darkness and gloom. You may feel that like you are presently in a a God-forsaken place, in a place that's been humbled and decimated, that your life has been humbled and decimated. Uh, You may feel that you're in a dark place, a place that is far from God's blessing. But that's the land to which Jesus comes. That's the place the Messiah shows up. That's where Jesus comes, into our dark and humbled place. Number four, uh, remind yourself that the cause for all the joy is a child given to us, a son born to us, not in our circumstances. Just like Israel, we have problems, we have personal problems, we have emotional problems, we have darkness. We suffer from corrupt and ungodly leaders in our government. Sometimes even in the church, there's poor poor leaders. Uh, we're surrounded by idolatry in our culture. Life is marred by sin all around us and even, even our own lives and families. So sometimes we begin to wonder, is there a reason to have joy? Is there still some sufficient way to have joy? Well, The answer of Isaiah, the answer of the Lord is yes. Because the cause, the reason, the basis for all that joy is is in Jesus, the child who was born to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy that, that we have now as we think of Jesus and all that he is. Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Capable of ruling and reigning this universe, we worship you, Jesus, as that, and we love you for coming to us in our darkness and saving us out of our sin. Um, we love you for being our Savior. We uh, we ask, if if anything, Lord, that you would just open our eyes uh, to see how much more glorious you are than than we've ever imagined, or or felt. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the joy that you have for us now, this morning, as we go our way through this week, that we can rejoice in the Lord. We thank you uh, for the joy that awaits us in eternity, perfect, full, complete, um, unshakable joy forever. Uh, We thank you that you came to bring such light and such joy and such glory into the darkness of this world and into the darkness of our our own lives, our own past. You are a mighty Savior, and we love you for coming to get us and doing these things for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.